0: A couple of notes as we get into the message for, uh, for today. First, I need a volunteer, just one person who's willing to, to take a chance. All right, one volunteer. Thank you for putting your hand right up. Um, I don't know what's going on, but I cannot get my voice back. Some of you heard this last week, and it is still hurting. If it gives out altogether, there's a book right here. All the words are there. Just come right up. You got it? He's ready. We're gonna try and make it through. The second note is I decided this Advent season to wear all my Christmas ties. So you will see that every week I'm, I'm wearing a tie, which I don't always do. Um, I picked out this one today, cause I love this tie, it's fun. I've had it a long time and it plays music. Can you like hear it playing music? Which is really fun, but I forgot, and I've known this from past years. I actually don't usually wear it on Sundays cause I talk with my hands and when I bump it, it plays music. And so if it's interrupted by this strange beeping sound, it's a, like, 1990s Christmas tie, just so you know. Why do you think so many people watch Christmas specials this time of year? Right? What, what drives us to, to watch Christmas specials or plug in our favorite Christmas movies? Some families have, you know, these traditions, they, they watch the Christmas movies, and my hunch is that if you ask those who love the movies and the, and the Christmas TV classics, they would probably say something about getting into the spirit of the season, right? We do this because it helps our family get into the spirit of the season, or it, or it gets us into the right mood, or, or it's getting us ready for Christmas, this month, we're kind of playing with that idea with a sermon series, A Clay Christmas Special, and thinking about, so with this idea, what does it look like to prepare ourselves? That's how we kind of prepare emotion- emotionally and secularly for Christmas, but what does it look like to prepare spiritually for this most important, one of the most important holidays in our tradition? Right? We kind of know what that looks like. I think we often know what that looks like in the secular sense. We put out the lights, we put on the music, we watch the, we watch the shows, we prepare the house, and we get, get the gifts ready for a company to arrive. But what does it mean spiritually in our faith? To prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. What does it look like to prepare ourselves for Jesus to arrive in our lives? The Bible invites us to, to realize that Jesus arrives again and again at our invitation, that we, that we need Jesus to come into our lives again. That's one of, the, one of the gifts of Christmas. Christmas is about God coming to dwell with us. So our question— We just keep asking, what can we do to prepare? Let's pray. Holy God, may our thoughts and our worship today lead us into deeper relationship with you. Prepare us for this holiday to come and deepen our relationship with Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been using the Christmas classics as a doorway to... examine themes and ideas in the Bible today, we're going to turn to a movie that plays over and over again every year. This was a movie that, you may not know this, it was not a box office smash. In fact, it was a bit of a failure in the box office. It it had a net loss of half a million dollars, which was a lot of money in its time. It got mixed reviews in its initial release. Its lead actor had just returned from World War II, and some said the movie was too sentimental and optimistic in light of the post-war feelings. Anybody know what movie we're talking about? If you were listening to Andrea earlier, you heard it too. It's a Wonderful Life. Starring James Stewart as George Bailey, right? George Bailey is this good guy, but George Bailey is tired, and nothing seems to be going his way, and he feels like he is is trying to do good, but he isn't making a difference, and he is ready to give up. Anybody ever felt that way? trying to do good, but ready to give up. In the movie, we follow George's life and trials right up to the point where he's ready to give up. And in that moment, he's visited by an angel named Clarence. Clarence, at George's wish to have never been born at all, shows him what the world would look like without George Bailey in it, without all of his efforts to do the right thing. Now, a big spoiler alert. We're going to jump to the end of the movie. And uh, most of you have had a long time to see this movie, so I, I, I don't feel like... Uh, I don't really feel like we're going to spoil it. We're going to pick up the story—I love this scene—we're going to pick up the story where Clarence the angel has helped George to see what the world would be like without him, and now George is back on the bridge where he first met Clarence, praying and asking for his life to be as it was. Take a look. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? Yep. this is a this is a movie that went from a box office failure to being on the on in the lists of somewhere between 10 and 25 greatest movies of all time and we might ask why but I think it's because of this I think it's because it taps into something that I mean that, there are tears out there I'd feel it in myself right there's just this exuberant sense of of joy and Think about this joy for just a moment. This scene in particular has struck me over the, over the years because of this intense celebration of the gift of life. Not, note, not the life where everything works out as planned, although it's going to get to that. In this moment, in this moment, not everything is going to the, a plan. George is pretty sure he's going to jail in this moment. Right? He's lost a bunch of money in this moment. Life is not without challenges and yet such incredible joy. Where does joy like this come from? Right? How do we tap into a joy like this? Is it real? Is it just something in the movies? I think we associate joy with things going our way. We associate joy, we think the joyful times are those times in our life when everything is just right. Or we think of joy as getting a new car or a new job, that fills us with with joy, right? Or, Or we think of joy, you'll appreciate this one, we think of joy in those moments when our team wins the big game. And certainly there are moments of joy in in all of these, but there's another understanding of joy. There's an understanding of joy that is still around when your team loses. There's a way to know joy when things don't go right at all. There's a way, a joy that comes not from stuff, but from somewhere else. The Bible, it offers us some thoughts about this kind of joy. And Advent is a great time to think about it. In the Old Testament, in the time of the writings of the the last part of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, The people were in exile, or they were just returning from exile. Their entire lives had been turned upside down for a generation. And as they returned, they thought it was all going to go back to normal, but things were still difficult. There there was tension between those who stayed and, and those who entered exile. There were questions about whether God was even present or whether God had abandoned God's people. And into this tension comes words of the prophet of the one speaking the word of God, in this case, the book of Isaiah. And listen, we're going to read a little bit from chapter 61 in the book of Isaiah if you want to follow along in your Bibles. And I want you to listen for for what it says about joy and delight and rejoicing. This is Isaiah 61. Oh, and if, if listening isn't your thing, look on the screen. I've highlighted the words for you. The Spirit the oil of joy instead of mourning, in a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks, foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in the riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance." And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels." For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. When Jesus starts his ministry, this is the very first passage, according to the Gospel of Luke, that he reads, good news that will bring great joy. To who? Did you notice who the the joy is for in this? The joy is for the poor and the the brokenhearted, for those who mourn, for those who are shackled, who feel stuck in the dark. What kind of joy? It says this is an everlasting joy that's being promised by God, a a kind of joy that is never going to fade How can one experience this joy? Well, the passage says, by delighting in the Lord. By celebrating the gifts that God has given and what God is doing to save us. Why this joy? So that it shines to others and others can also see the goodness of God and the joy of God's people. Did you notice in this passage who would be God's partners in building a a society with this kind of joy, a, a kingdom, a community with this kind of joy at its center? It's not the rich or the politicians or those with power and influence Isaiah says, this kind of community of joy is going to be built and led by those who are poor and brokenhearted, those that mourn, those who have been shackled in their lives. Think for a moment. As we ponder this, think for just a moment about the contrast in It's a Wonderful Life between... Mr. Potter and George Bailey. If you don't remember or you haven't seen the movie, Mr. Potter is rich and has everything. He's buying everything up. While George Bailey is barely making ends meet. It's part of the reason this loss of money is such a big deal. By the world's standards, Mr. Potter is winning. He should be the one filled with with joy from his wealth and his influence, but you can just tell from the movie, like he's a miserable guy. And we know, as the viewer of this movie, that the kind of community that people desire, the kind where joy is experienced, is the kind that is led by the George Baileys of the world, right? With selflessness and care never becoming rich himself because he's he's so generous he just keeps he just keeps sharing it why does isaiah the prophet say that that this kind of community of joy is going to be built by those who have suffered those who struggle those who have very little maybe because maybe because it's those people who have learned to delight not in money or comfort or influence or power, but in the simplest things as gifts from God. Perhaps because those of us who've experienced loss, who know what it's like to struggle, have come to, to realize that God's joy isn't something we find somewhere else, but it's something we find in our relationship with Jesus and in, in knowing God's love. The kind of joy the Bible invites us to experience isn't in what we have and it isn't in what happens. The kind of joy the Bible invites us to experience is in how we see and how we respond to what happens or what we have. We might think of it this way. I think we sometimes miss this. Joy isn't a feeling. Joy is an attitude. Happiness is a feeling, and we get it, and it goes away. Joy isn't a feeling. Joy is an attitude. Joy isn't just the feeling you get when your team wins. Joy is celebrating that you get to be part of the team. Joy isn't just the feeling you get when you get a promotion. Joy is thinking about what God can do through you, for your family, for for the world around you because of that promotion. And here's the cool part of this. This means joy isn't dependent on things going our way or having stuff. Joy is dependent on our reliance on God and our ability and faith to step back, to take a step back and to see what what God sees. We don't have to lose all our joy. This may be really important in bowl season. When your team loses... It doesn't have to sap the joy out of you. We can celebrate the relationships we have around these games and and what we have been able to do together. When we lose a job, we don't have to lose our joy. Right? We can find joy in in knowing that God is work and there are other possibilities ahead. That God will hold us and, and there's a church and a community wrapped around us. There's this great verse in, uh, in Ecclesiastes. It comes after the, uh, the verses about a season for everything that's been made into songs multiple times that many know. The verse says this, He, meaning the Lord God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity into the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. That kind of a beautiful eternity in the human heart. Do you ever think about that? That God has given you this glimpse of the gift of eternity in your heart. This sense that we're part of something God is doing, something bigger, something we, we will never be able to see, the, the whole picture, and yet we have a, a part to play. This, this eternity in the human heart, that's, that's our source of joy. And sometimes... Sometimes I think we need an angel to help us see it. And sometimes I think we need to be the angel to someone else to help them see it. Angel in the Bible, it means messenger of God. There are certainly visions and explanations of angels with wings, but there are also times when a messenger of God comes and it's just, it's just a person that speaks the word of God into a life. In the movie, Clarence is that angel, but, but in our lives, I'm gonna guess most of us at some point have had an angel who've spoken the word that we needed to hear from God at a given time in our lives. The person who can remind us that joy can be experienced in trusting God's presence and celebrating the simple things And knowing that even when we can't see it, our lives and what we do have eternal meaning. At the heart of it all, God invites us to see what God sees. To tap into this eternity, into our heart, to see what God sees, and to be people of contagious joy. I've had an opportunity to visit churches all over the state of Indiana because of my roles in the church over the years. And I think the one thing that sometimes breaks my heart the most is when you walk into a church and you don't feel it. Like, like the joy. Where's the joy? We are to be people of contagious joy. Now, sometimes we don't feel it. And we need, we need, the pastor. We need our spiritual friends to say, you know what, you're letting, you're letting the world tear you down. The source of your joy is somewhere else. Look to God. And sometimes we need to be that person for someone else. This is the gift of the church. When, uh, when Noah was a toddler, he was like one and a half, two years old. He's toddling around. He has language, like he can say some things, but but he's at that stage where, like, long sentences he's not doing. And uh, I'll never forget this time in his life, because I would watch him on, I don't remember if it was Monday or Friday's my day off, um, but inevitably on those days, he would stand up, and he'd just start going, truck, truck, truck. And I was supposed to know that what that meant was the garbage truck was coming. And I don't, I don't know what he could hear that I couldn't, but he knew as soon as it was in the neighborhood. And he would go to the front door, and he'd be like, truck, truck, truck. And I would open the front door, and we had like the glass door there, and he'd get right up next to it. And he would just bounce until the truck came, and then he'd be like, jump. Like, it was the best thing ever. And I I remember early when we started this little habit, because, right, I mean, once you start it with a two-year-old, you do it for a year. And um, I remember when we started, and I thought, Noah, like, what on earth? It's a trash truck. Um, And it was cute for a while, and then we kept doing it. And then somewhere probably in the four- to six-month mark, I realized, I realized that Noah was teaching me something. Like, How often do we just take that for granted? I realized one day that this two-year-old is showing me something that I've missed. That trash truck is a gift, because if we think about the alternative, that's not fun. (laughs) The people working on that trash truck are a gift. We should all be this joyful. Right? This, too, is a gift to be celebrated. Joy isn't, a, isn't just a feeling. Joy is an attitude. It's giving thanks. It's celebrating every gift that God has given us. Have you ever tried this? Like I'm going I'm to challenge you at the end, but have you ever tried just writing down a list of, of the little things that you take for granted that should bring you joy? I think that's why we love the scene of George so much. Right? He's been given this gift of seeing the eternity, how his life is connected to eternity, eternity in his heart, and he just goes running through the streets, like, celebrating every little thing. His crashed car, the fact that he has a life so he'll be arrested for doing what, what is really the right thing. Like, like, this is the gift of of joy is seeing God at work even when nothing's going right. How can we prepare for the coming of Jesus? We can trust in God's power to redeem anything. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We put our hope there. And we can examine our hearts and, and reorient them toward God when they're when our hearts are pointed somewhere else or closed. And today we hear an invitation to start looking for joy, not with everything going according to plan this holiday. But what if instead we looked for joy in the little moments and the things that make us smile? And the little things we haven't paid attention to before that we we too often take for granted, but that make our lives better. What if we looked for it in every relationship that is a gift from God in our lives? What would it look like if we, like the children around us, experienced delight in the midst of our blessings? So today, I just want to offer a really tangible step To prepare for Christmas. Take just a moment. Take 10 or 15 minutes today. It doesn't have to take you more than that. You're getting Christmas ready, and you're worried about your shopping list, and we all have a hundred million things going on in our lives. Just take 10 or 15 minutes, and do it today so you don't forget, and just, just create a little list of things that bring you joy or things that you're thankful for that should be bringing you joy that you've long since just begun taking for granted. Just create that list, and give thanks to God. And if you're feeling, if you're really feeling it, like throw up your hands and shout Merry Christmas, like George Bailey. And just let that joy carry through you this day and into this season ahead. Amen.